Hey everyone, welcome back to Heart Sprained. Hey Nadine. Hey Mish. What's going on? I am recording this week from the lovely city of Boston, Massachusetts. What's Very going nice. on? I'm thrilled that we're on the same time zone, so it's not at an ungodly hour. So <laughs> that's you know, cool. in my body, it's still 6 p.m. Ugh. But I apologize for next week keeping you up until like midnight. It's fine. It's worth it. <laughs> so we have a lot to unpack this week. I'm very excited about this episode. I feel like we kind of got a lot of feedback from our friends and we're ready to really dive into like the nitty gritty of breakups. Um, I really want you to start because I know that you have something really great on deck. You know, I, I'm pretty pumped this week too. I think we have a lot to kind of talk about that's going to set us up for future episodes, which I think is exciting. Um, and yeah, first of all, I I definitely want to say that anybody who listened to episode one and who gave us feedback, that was awesome. Thank you guys so much for doing that. Um, and if you loved it, hated it, sort of felt meh or lukewarm about it, all of those things are cool. We're just happy you listened. Yes. Thank you so much. I couldn't believe how many people, I didn't even know we knew that many people. So I still wonder if we, if we do know them, I yeah. think some of them might just be bots. I don't know. Well, that's fine. Either way. I feel loved, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what is love if it's not coming from a robot? Exactly. Yeah. We're embracing that. We'll talk about that one day in like 2023. <laughs> it's probably already out there, but it's fine. Um, anyway, I digress. So to kick things off this week, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about attachment styles. I think what we've seen so much of in our day to day and in the situations that our friends have been in is a lot of times relationships just deteriorate and breakups happen and you don't really have these clear cut answers. And a lot of the time it's not because somebody did something wrong necessarily. And it's not because there was this big dramatic life event or somebody cheated or lied or a lot of times it just it's just not working and you're just not compatible and there's no real explanation for it so what we found just in terms of our own digging and our own conversations with people in this field it really does often come down to just different attachment styles if you have never heard of attachment style theory before it's basically this idea that depending on how you were raised and depending on how you formed relationships with people that you trusted while you were growing up. So your parents, your older siblings, your teachers, et cetera, you learned how to love basically and how to express love and how to feel love. So your attachment styles are going to kind of be dictated a lot through by based on what you went through in childhood, but they do have the potential to change and to evolve. Sometimes they evolve into something better. Sometimes they evolve into something worse, which we will talk about today. Um, But the main three categories of attachment styles are you have your uh, your anxious attachment styles. And those are people who are very much kind of categorized as the quote unquote needy people. And I hate that word, but I, I think it's really unfair. I think it's a little cruel. But anytime you've ever considered someone to be a little needy, a stage five clinger, a lot of times this is the attachment style that they, um, that they identify with. If you know, you, I, more... you know who I picture always who? Who? Um, that meme, the obsessed girlfriend meme. <laughs> oh, she's like, like how... a thousand percent. That's how I remember the... that one. You know, I always just think of the actual OG stage five clinger from what, from uh, wedding crashers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she's perfect. 
she's like yeah she's on another level so if you need to put faces to these theories these are two great ones for the anxious attachment style um and there's subcategories to each of these two they're not so black and white but um they're just we're just kind of giving general overviews here because neither one of us is a licensed therapist um but yeah so that's the first one the second one which is you know kind of like goldilocks in in a way in terms of attachment style it's the secure attachment style these are people who have pretty healthy attachment styles and they know how to love they know how to receive love they know how to show affection they know how to do that without being over the top they know that receiving affection doesn't mean you have to be smothered 24 7 and be obsessive and that kind of thing um i don't know that i know a persona that we can leverage Um, yes you do you told me this like two weeks ago who me oh my god that's true i do know you but that's true okay i i I stand by that but i meant more like a public yeah no true well maybe someday i don't know i mean you know who's definitely not one though britney spears i don't know where she falls on this but i definitely don't think she's a secure attachment style no no there's a lot going on there too much going on there um but yeah so anyway so that's the sort of and that's the attachment style that anybody who reads about this or who kind of talks about like therapy or whatever there everyone wants to be this like you want to move from if you're in one of the other two categories you want to move into being a secure and everybody also wants to date a secure so that's also kind of challenging because it's like the one type that kind of works with all three like you can be an anxious with a secure you can be secure secure and you can be in a secure avoidant relationship so the third style is the avoidant attachment style and these are folks who polar opposite of the anxious to the extent that you're in this relationship you you know deep down you want that human connection but you kind of convinced yourself that you really don't need it and that you're totally fine on your own and that you you kind of almost put up these walls and these barriers between you and anybody that you engage in a romantic relationship with because you are truly deeply insecure and you don't really realize that you're insecure which is why avoidant attachment styles are probably the most difficult to change because nine times out of ten you don't even know that you have this attachment style because you don't feel anxious like the anxious folks do. And yeah, it's really, it's really kind of powerful too, because if you ever make the realization that you are an avoidant, it becomes a lot easier to realize your patterns and understand why you're, you know, behaving a certain way or why your relationships don't work out and why you feel numb a lot of the time. And I think it's just very, very difficult for an avoidant to ever actually make that realization. So if you've ever dated somebody or been involved with somebody who kind of just was really distant a lot of the times, the second things got really serious or there was a commitment involved, they started to back away. They got really busy at work all of a sudden. They Mm. didn't like to hold your hand. They didn't really show a ton of, you know, enthusiasm in their text messages and weren't really all about the I love you's and I miss you's and that sort of thing uh chances are they kind of fell into this category so um and I think that's always the biggest one that we as women struggle with in terms of having a partner who might be in this attachment style because we take it so personally right Mm. and we're like oh my god why aren't you holding my hand why don't you want to kiss me hello why you know why are you pulling away and the super ironic thing about it is that 
avoidant attachments tend to attract and seek anxious attachment people. So it's pretty much a recipe for disaster. But because one of them is so unbelievably, you know, quote unquote, clingy, um, it almost kind of compensates for the avoidance distance. But ultimately, neither one of them is ever actually happy in that dynamic, because the anxious isn't getting any kind of reassurance from the avoidant, which they so desperately need. And the avoidant isn't getting the space to process their feelings and the space to kind of deal with their own insecurities the way that they need. So that's usually a pairing that's just not really going to work, but it is the pairing that I think a lot of therapists and and licensed counselors say they see often. So I think we see this a lot. I don't want to make gender stereotypes with this, but I do feel like a lot, it's a lot more common for women to be anxious and for men to be avoidance. Um, So I think we see that dynamic a lot where the girl maybe calls all the time and the guy doesn't pick up or he doesn't answer her text messages right away or he pulls back when things get serious and heavy and the girl thinks that if she loves him harder and she shows up more and she does all these things that it's more likely to work out. So, you know, those are just some patterns that we've kind of seen. And a lot of times the girls think it's something personal and they're like, well, hey, like, what did I do? I don't understand it. And it's just not, it's just, it's, it's the classic, it's not you, it's me. And we all hate that excuse. And sometimes it comes off as bullshit, but the reality is that's that's what's going on. You know, it really is about that attachment thing. And if you're conditioned to take that personally, it's not going to go well for anybody. I also think this is probably on a much smaller scale, like a spectrum that you can kind of find yourself on, depending on the type of attachment that the person that you're with has. Like, this is honestly the only place I'm mentally secure, <laughs> probably. <laughs> but um you know, I, I feel like I've kind of dated both. And if somebody's super clingy with me, I've definitely been avoidant. And if somebody is very distant, I'm probably leaning more on that clingy side. Like, wait, what, what's going on? Why is he not answering? You know, I don't I don't love that, um, that I can kind of lean into both depending on the person. But it's so interesting to me that the the two opposite ends are usually attracted to each other. That is maddening. <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny. It's kind of interesting that you say that because kind of going back to this idea that it's fluid, right? And that you can kind of go in and out of these styles. The idea is that if you date someone who's secure in their attachment style, they're supposed to kind of bring the anxious or the avoidant, whoever they're dating, you can kind of bring them to that secure, that neutral mm. place. Oh, lovely. So it's kind of, yeah, it's That's kind nice. of ironic. Yeah. Yeah, it is really nice when you think about it. But the, the problem with it is, statistically speaking, we can't all be dating secures. <laughs> like, yeah, and I've not. never fixed anyone. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you fixed me. Well, this debatable. True. <laughs> yeah, debatable, I guess. I don't know. For I anyone did. who's wondering, my attachment style is avoidant, um, which is, you know, it's been it's been a fun realization over the past couple of years. And it's been something that I've tried to kind of work through and understand and figure out and work more towards that secure attachment style. Um, but yeah, it's, it's funny because when I think about it, yeah, for so long, the narrative I told myself was, you know what, you don't need no man, like you're fine. Everything's fine. Maybe not everyone's meant for relationships. Maybe you're fine. Maybe you can just be like the cool aunt who travels <laughs> and has all this money. Like you don't need a family. It's fine. And, um, but you've worked so hard. Give yourself so much credit for that. You've come a long way. I appreciate that. That's very kind and generous and we'll see, but it's ironic though, because I, 
I think that's why avoidants have such a difficult time admitting that this is their attachment style. I actually think the best example of this is Chelsea Handler. So Chelsea Handler made her entire career pretty much of mocking relationships. And I love Chelsea Handler. I think she's incredible, but she's recently come out and she said like, you know, I used to think people who got married were weak and they kind of needed this thing to define them and talk about who they were and all this stuff. And I used to think I was so much better and so much holier than thou type of thing because I didn't need that. And I think that's the narrative that so many avoidants tell themselves. I think we kind of say like, I don't need, oh, you know, that's just kind of a, a weird societal pressure that's been placed on women or men or whoever. And I don't need that life. Like I'm okay being on my own, making work my relationship. I'm okay going in and out of these short-term partnerships and leaving them for, you know, the second they no longer serve me kind of thing. And it's not necessarily always true. I'm not saying that there aren't people out there who believe that and who genuinely are like that and don't need those things. I'm absolutely certain that they exist, but I think it's a much smaller percentage than the ones who are walking around out there saying those things to themselves. Because at the end of the day, I mean, we're social creatures, right? I mean, we just want someone to love us. We want to love someone. And we want that kind of security and we're biologically programmed to want that. So there's no shame in admitting that, but it's, it's really the hard work I think comes in when you have to actually come to terms with the fact that this is who you are and you have to work through that and figure out how to be uncomfortable to get the things that you want and stop kind of inadvertently lying to yourself saying that you don't need those things. Yeah. I think something that could be really attractive and just healthy in general for someone with either end of the spectrum, like the bad attachment styles, not bad, sorry. Um, but the less desirable. Yeah. The insecure attachments. I think the biggest thing other than therapy plug for therapy always, um, is just self-awareness. I think if you can say to yourself, yeah, I have this, I go through this. This is something I have to work on. This is something I'm aware of and I need to change. I know it's not good. That's the biggest step I would think. Oh, absolutely. And it's so, I think, I mean, I don't know if this is helpful, but I think one of the, some of the questions that you can kind of ask yourself, especially because if you're an anxious attachment style, you know that you're an anxious attachment style, right? Because you live in this constant state of anxiety when you're in a relationship. So you know that it's, it's not a settling feeling. Like you never feel overly secure or confident or comfortable in your relationship, especially if you're dating an avoidant. So you kind of realize and accept that you have some work to do there. And it's very obvious. Avoidance don't feel like something's wrong, right? Like they feel Mm. fine. You don't feel anxious. You don't, because the thing is, you don't feel anything. And I know that kind of makes you sound like a sociopath a little bit, but that's not really what it is. It's just that you've almost conditioned yourself to not feel and not invest and keep this weird barrier up between you and whoever it is you're, you know, you're seeing or you're dating or you're in a situationship with or whatever. And you feel like if you keep that wall up, it's never going to hurt you. Right. And, and you don't really realize that you're doing it and that you're kind of self-sabotaging in that way. But a couple of questions that I think might help if you kind of sit there and ask yourself like, oh my gosh, am I an avoidant? I think number one is, 
if you break up with someone or, you know, a situation ends, do you process it? Or do you find yourself throwing yourself into work, into a bunch of social activities, into, mm. you know, all of these different things to basically avoid dealing with the problem? Um, the second thing is, does intimacy make you uncomfortable? Do you hate holding hands? Do you hate the idea of, you know, meeting someone's parents and do those make you a little uncomfortable? Um, the third thing to kind of be on the lookout for, I would say, is um, just do you feel like you can't talk about your feelings? I think that's always the hardest thing for avoidance. And I think a lot of times avoidance say things like, well, no, I just don't have feelings like that. That's not a thing I experience. If you ever found yourself saying that or thinking that or identifying with that, it's very possible that this is your attachment style. Either that or you're a sociopathic serial killer, mm. um, in <laughs> which case I think you know, therapy's warranted on both ends. So just something to consider. What about someone with the other attachment? Is that, it, it, you know, when they break up with someone, are they just real too in it? Like they can't get out of bed. They can't go to work. Yeah. I think a lot of times that's usually the other end of the spectrum, right? It's yeah. almost like it becomes all consuming. Yeah. You don't know how to give the other person space. Yeah. You found yourself calling them incessantly. You found yourself, you know, feeling like, oh my gosh, he didn't answer me. It's only been 19 minutes. Like, yeah. what did I do? Yeah. Is he mad at me? I didn't even do anything. Oh my gosh. And then you kind of freak out and you go into this panic spiral. Um, and I, I think those, I, but again, like I said, I think if you're an anxious, you probably know you have those tendencies. Yeah. Um, so you're probably already a little bit self-aware, which actually works in your favor. Whereas avoidance, I think just to get to that self-awareness step is so unbelievably challenging. That was so interesting. Hmm. I'm glad you found it. I love that. I think everyone can really relate to that. Yeah. I mean, we're all on the spectrum somewhere. And I think we can all also identify kind of like you said, Mish, like if you were in a relationship that didn't bring out the best in you and maybe it made you a little crazy and it brought you to that anxious, it's a clear sign that the person you're with right. was kind of dragging that out of you. Yeah. You know, and obviously it takes Ew. two you know, it takes two. It's, it's never just one person's fault, but yeah, um, it is really interesting when you kind of just try to sit there and think about your past relationships and the people you've dated and how you behaved in those relationships. Um, I can confidently say that in my uh, one relationship that I talked about in the last episode, the one, you know, where he cheated on me on television. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one definitely made me an anxious, which I had never been before. Never. No. And I haven't been since. Thank goodness. Um, but it's probably one of the reasons I became an avoidance. So. <laughs> right. Totally. <laughs> kind of an irony there. So what do you think? Let's kind of segue a little bit here. What do you think about like, even if somebody has like one of these attachment styles or they're just like not really a great fit for you in general, because that kind of ties in like somebody could just not be a great fit because of something like this. When do you stop kind of considering their potential? Ooh, I love this topic because I think so many people get into relationships with folks just based on their potential, right? Mm -hmm. And being someone who lives in LA, that's something like, oh my God, been a real thing I've had to make sure I avoided doing. Um, well, he has potential. He's really funny. Maybe he will be a famous writer. Like, no. Yeah. You know, it, like he's <laughs> probably not going to be, unfortunately. And I think, you know, this is especially tough when you get together with someone when you're young because potential is really all you have to base it on. But 
I think as you get a little older, it starts to become less cute what their potential is and much more cute when they have things like a job and <laughs> a 401k and file their taxes independently <laughs> every year. Like That starts to become sexy. So I don't know if there's an age necessarily. I almost think it's it's about where you are in your life. And if you feel like you have your shit together and you know what you want and your life is moving and you're kind of ready to be on that same level with someone else and you want someone who kind of matches that, which I think for most people ends up being late 20s, you know, at the Mm -hmm. very earliest, I would say. And I think at that point, that's when you have to stop saying like, well, he could be, you know, really successful or he could love me or he could do all of these things or she could become this if I got her a gym membership which is oh terrible but I know <laughs> yeah but I it's just real think these are all yeah people say that and they think that and I just don't do that like don't get into a relationship with someone based on who they could be or what the relationship could be yeah, it's first of all, it will become your job. You'll be fixated on it and you will kind of take on the responsibility to fix them, mm-hmm. which is not sexy at all. Oh, God, nobody wants a fixer upper. If you want a fixer upper, go go invest in real estate. Don't. Yeah. And nobody likes know? to be fixed. Nobody likes to be nagged and picked apart. I don't think it's fun for anybody. Yeah. And I mean, it kind of goes back to that whole thing. Like, you have to love them for who they are. And honestly, if you don't love them for who they are, then maybe don't be with them. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine to be alone. You don't have to find someone that you're settling for in hopes that you can change them and fix them and mold them into what you want. You know, it, that's just, it's not fair. Now there's a difference between pushing someone to kind of like, you know, grow and support them and do all of that. I mean, I think ultimately the best relationships are the ones where both people are growing together and they're pushing each other's boundaries and they're really inspiring each other. And I think that can obviously be beautiful, but there's a really fine line between doing that and just trying to basically give someone like an entire personality makeover. That's not good. Yeah, no, and it's not going to happen. They're never going to be what you want them to be. I don't think anyway. Nope. My mom told me a long time ago, don't ever marry someone under the hopes that they can change or that oh, they will yeah. change. Don't ever expect marriage to change somebody. And I think the same is true for a relationship. Don't think that just because they're going to commit or settle or do whatever with you in any sense, that somehow that's going to change a core tenant of their personality. I'm not saying it's impossible. And I think we all know a story or two where someone settled down and, you know, it was like kicking the butt that they needed to, Mm. you know, do whatever. And I think we hold on to those stories and think that we can have a similar story and the reality is that's the exception and not the rule yeah totally so this kind of leads us into a very interesting topic to me ultimatums like there's a lot to unpack on this one um I mean, I think that everyone in every relationship, everyone goes in with a non-negotiable. I probably have like 25 non-negotiables. Um, <laughs> I bet you they're good ones though and not like great stupid ones. petty ones. I like, will stand oh, yeah, by all. Have a yacht. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. We all go in with like an idea of like the person that we want to be with, whether it's something from like, I don't want to date someone who smokes or 
Mm -hmm. I don't know. I want to date someone who lets my dog sleep in our bed or something like that. You know, it could be anything small to obviously bigger things like we just kind of touched on. Um, But then once you're in a relationship, you kind of you gain a whole new list of ultimatums, (laughs) you know, um, you know, I want to move in together. And if one person doesn't want to move in, then what are you going to do? And, and do you kind of hold that over them? Do you say like, well, I'm not going to move in with you unless, you know, we're engaged. Like there's that, that is a whole topic in itself. Um, Mm -hmm. And engagement. I think there's a lot of ultimatums. I've seen that a lot where it's like, okay, I've given him a timeline. I've given him the date. Like he has to propose by August or it's over. And I think that is like the worst way to, live your life and kind of like have a relationship sit on something like that is so toxic to me. Um, I don't know. I just think like any relationship that's built or sustained by an ultimatum, it's just doomed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my opinion. I don't know if you think like some people need that kick in the pants or well, I don't know. What do you think? Maybe. I don't know. I'm so in the middle on this one because I, for, first of all, think it just takes all the romance out of it if you're like hey uh we either get proposed right like or we get engaged by the end of this year or we're done i i'm brought back to that movie he's just not that into you which was originally a book and it changed the life of 15 year old me wait um, you read that too i did read that i love that wait, i read it, that that's gonna come up so much on this podcast because i still live by those <laughs> rules yeah the movie was terrible i cannot stand by that movie Oh, I loved it. Okay. But that's fine. <laughs> this is not a movie review podcast. <laughs> Although maybe no. it should be. But anyway, so, but I'm always brought back to that whole situation between, and if nobody's seen, has seen the movie, we'll provide context in a minute, but the Bradley Cooper situation where he's married to Jennifer Connelly, but he's, you know, sleeping with Scarlett Johansson. Um, and it's funny because, they talk about how Bradley Cooper and his wife were together since college. And a few years after college, she basically said to him, we're done because I'm not wasting any more time in this relationship if it's not going anywhere. And what happened, fast forward a bunch of years later, and he's cheating on her with this chick. And I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that that's the case every single time, but it's just interesting because she kind of, pressured him into doing that and I get what she was saying but I think if the relationship isn't progressing at a in a way or at a speed that you feel comfortable pressuring the person to to do it on your timeline isn't going to fix anything anything if that's the point where you kind of walk away and you just say listen clearly like you don't want the same things that I do and you're not ready for them and I am I think the ultimate, you know, the thing that really starts an ultimatum is that relationships are either moving or they're dying. Right. And sometimes an ultimatum like kind of pushes it in either direction. Um, But I think that's where it comes from. People feel really uncomfortable just being stuck Mm -hmm. and being like in that plateau of like, okay, well, what's next? What are we doing? Um, And I think that's really where they come up just that that realization of like, okay, there's should be a next step or we're breaking up. Um, And I think especially people in our age range, like from your probably mid twenties, even if you're dating someone for a couple of years at that point, you're probably thinking like, okay, what's happening here? 
is this a, is this a forever thing or is this ending? Because I'm not wasting the best years of my life otherwise. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it is super interesting because I, I agree. I think it does come because people don't want to waste their time. I get yeah. that. You just want to know it's going somewhere. But I think, I mean, I don't think anyone's ever, like, been proposed to or right. planned on proposing to someone without having had the conversation first. Yeah. Like, it shouldn't catch anybody by surprise where their partner's at, like, mentally. I, I, I feel like if, so you're, like if you're in a good relationship, if you're in a good situation, it should pretty obvious like where you both are and where you both intend to go right Both going to be ready at the same time I don't think that's true at all but I do think that there needs to be a very honest communication about that stuff if you expect right. that you know you want to move in before you get engaged like that's something that should be talked about before things get too serious and if one person's like yeah I can kind of see that happening I just don't know when or whatever that's all fine and good but again that constant communication needs to be happening and if at any point you guys are out of sync or no longer on the same timeline I think that's why a lot of relationships end yeah and uh, you know kind of to branch off what you said about like maybe not being ready at the same time obviously it's about communication but the bigger thing there I think the only ultimatum that I'm comfortable with is if somebody say somebody's in like a situationship where they're just hooking up with someone and mm-hmm. it makes them feel bad to do that without, you know, defining the relationship or being exclusive. Like if you feel bad about it, or if you're just, you feel insecure in general as a person on your own, and then you get yourself into a situation that is not secure, you're only going to feel worse. You're only going to feel more insecure with that person without that person. I just think that it creates a whole like toxic storm of no, I'm well, just not. Yeah, I mean that one. That ultimatum is okay. Yeah, and I would, uh, I like one thousand percent agree with that because I think what you're saying it's less an ultimatum and more about drawing a boundary, which are yeah, two totally, totally different things. Yeah, you know, it's and I don't think it's an ultimatum if you're in a like grace based situationship with someone and you're kind of saying like, hey, listen, like I'm at the point now where shit or get off the pot, you know, yeah. and I'm not gonna live in this grace space for any longer because I'm treating you as someone who is not in a gray space and I need to make sure that I'm protecting myself and right. we're either there together or we're not like you can't have me the way you want me yeah. and not really give a shit about what I want and I think that's completely different than telling we either get engaged this year or we're done you know I think it's, yeah. it's more about drawing those boundaries and you haven't even entered into that partnership with the person yet so as far as I'm concerned that's still that's still just self-preservation right which makes sense to me and I think that it's really interesting I really like the difference between like an ultimatum and a boundary um because something that I was thinking is you know an ultimatum should always come from a place of respect for yourself mm-hmm. for the other person not a place of control which that's where I think it becomes mm-hmm. an ultimatum. trying to control a person or a situation that's when it's not good right and I think ultimatums I mean, one of my favorite things that I ever heard, I don't even remember where I heard it or where I said it or whatever. I think it might have been you, Mish, where it was a, a problem isn't you versus the person you're with. Yeah. It should be you and the person versus the problem. Yeah. And I feel like the ultimatum piece makes it you versus the person. And that's not good. Yeah. That's so true. You know, another thing that I recently saw, there's this girl that I've seen on Instagram. Her name is Bethany C. Myers. 
Um, she's in a very interesting relationship with someone. And I think they're married, actually. Um, and she wrote like an anniversary post or something. And she said, oh, they're also in like an open marriage, which is very cool, very interesting. They're very sane about it. And they're both it's it's consensual. Um, and her take on it is it's hard to break something that bends. So she says, you know, the less deal breakers that you have, the less likely that things will break you or break your relationship, which I love that. I actually think that's it makes you kind of take a hard look at your own non-negotiables and say like, oh, well, this is there's so many things that could break us rather than being a little flexible. Yeah. And I think non-negotiables are really handy when you're looking for a partner. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know? But I think once, like, okay, you've identified that this person meets the majority of your non-negotiables and you've entered into this relationship with them or whatever it is and it's going well. I do agree with that idea of not having so many rules, I guess, at that point. Now, I'm not saying they turn into rules. Right. And I'm not saying that everyone should do an open marriage because Lord knows I don't think I would have the strength to do that. I, I, I certainly couldn't do it. But I think having being a lot more open-minded and again, going back to the philosophy that it is now you and the person versus any problems that you may face and not you versus the person. And I just think that would create such a better and healthier dynamic for a lot of people. And it helps you understand that, you know, not everything is this big to do and not, Everything is this whole like thing that you have to stick by just for the sake of sticking by it, which I think happens a lot. Like we let our pride get in the way. We let what our parents think get in the way. And we're like, well, you know, so-and-so's relationship, she would never let her husband do this. Like, why should I be okay with it? And I, I think that's kind of where you start to dance into some dangerous territory there. Totally. So something that I kind of consider, um, I guess it's like a reverse ultimatum is, and this kind of really touches on breakups, obviously. Um, You can't negotiate a breakup. You can't give someone like this reverse ultimatum. I think that makes sense. It makes sense in my head. Like if somebody wants to break up with you, that's it. It's over. (laughs) Sorry if that was a harsh segue, Nadine, but it just kind of makes (laughs) me think <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like someone, it's like you can't be like half pregnant. Like you're either yeah, are or you, you can't aren't. be a little bit pregnant. <laughs> right. Like that's not like a thing. <laughs> like, yeah. You, you can't like, you can't kind of want to break up. I mean, I don't know. I, I agree with you on that one. I think if one person's like, eh, I'm kind of not really feeling this anymore, like it's done. And also, that's the point where you start to have a little bit of pride and dignity for yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing if you guys want to talk, like if they're not coming at it from a place of breaking, I'm really unhappy and, and I don't know how to fix this versus someone who's already mentally checked out and is just done and they don't want to be with you anymore. And I think a lot of times that becomes confusing because you don't really know which one it is. Yeah. But if someone's already made up their mind about not wanting to be with you or not wanting to be in that relationship, there's like, why would you even try to convince them to stay? And and I feel like you give up a lot of your non-negotiables and your ultimatums. You just throw them out the window because you get really desperate. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, I've seen that happen. I just told Nadine, like the name of a guy. (laughs) I did not explain this story to her. I don't even know if you know the story, (laughs) Nadine. Um, I don't think I do. I just know the guy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was like at best a situationship. I would not even 
it was not that. I won't even call it that. I forgot this happened, yeah. by the way. So basically, I just wasn't feeling it anymore. It was only going on for like a few weeks. And this guy was really into me. And I was just really not into him. I was coming off of a relationship, another relationship. Like, I literally met him probably two days after I broke up with this one guy. And I was not ready. And he was all in. He was so ready. And finally, it just got to the point. We had a lot of really close mutual friends. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. And, like, I was really nice about it. And I just remember sitting on my bed for five hours just texting. That was the worst part. Probably because I didn't want to talk on the phone. But it was just (laughs) five hours of just, like, negotiating. This It's not even a breakup. I guess it – I don't know. Maybe to him it was. But – It was just, it never ended. And that is when I learned, I think actually the concept is probably from, he's just not that into you, the book too, Mm -hmm. but it was torture. And if you've ever been on that end of things, it's like the least appealing thing. So Mm -hmm. learn, learn from that poor soul. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, that's not a great situation (laughs) for anyone to be in. And I would also say too, I mean, from as someone like, again, if you're the person being dumped, I think it's so natural for your body to like go into like panic mode yeah, and for you to just be like, Oh my God. Okay. No. Is it because I smoke? I'll I'll stop smoking. Is it because I went out with my friends last week? Is it because I won't do that anymore? Mm -hmm. And you kind of start to think about all the things that might make them stay. And it's not an unnatural reaction, but I think the more appropriate reaction is to just kind of give it a second, let it breathe and just kind of sit with it. Right. Because you'll realize that usually in most situations, you're not super blindsided that this is coming. I'm not saying that you never are blindsided, but you probably know deep down that this isn't working to some extent. And if that's the case, then they kind of all they did was really beat you to the punch. Yeah. And it doesn't feel good. You will never walk away from that being like, that felt great to beg no. that person to date me. That was like me with my ex when I was just like, we don't need to be in love. Who needs love? This is great. <laughs> it was not great. <laughs> it's never great. No, you don't want to beg somebody to be with you. Fuck no. that. You are a queen. Boy yes. or girl, you are a queen. <laughs> and you deserve to be treated as such. However, if you're struggling to get over someone... <laughs> Nadine, do you know where this is going? Oh my god, are we about to talk about the list? The list. Ah, honestly, like this. I hope this is what I'm remembered for. No, this is your single greatest contribution to Mother Earth. It's terrible. I hope that anyone listening. Terrible. No, I'm. I'm not really this person. This is a really ugly side of me. No, it's a beautiful side of you, and (laughs) I will. I will support the list until the day that I die. Okay. Because this list. Is the sick? I would say this is the only reason I ever got past any bad situation I was in. It's so good. It's like foolproof. You have to be ready, which I'll talk about. But I, I think it's just a foolproof, foolproof way to get over somebody. I've never seen it not work. Um, so it's I also honestly, a really foolproof way to like avoid texting your ex. Yes, like it's, it's a great thing you. to refer back to. Yeah, it's so great. Anyway, go on. Please enlighten the world. And by the world, I mean our six listeners. There's so many more than six of you. I know it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, 12. I don't know how I came up with it. I think it was like back in college, actually. Like that, I really tried hard to think, like, who did I do this to first? (laughs) What, what, who was my first (laughs) victim? Um, 
I think I pinpointed it and I will never like say who it was, but I really needed to get over someone. And so I just was ready to acknowledge that this is, this is crucial. You have to be ready to acknowledge that like he kind of sucks and you, you really, you really can't shake him even though you know he sucks. And like, you kind of start to realize like, he's not that great. Is he, you have to kind of come out of that really tough part of the breakup to get to this point. Um, and your mm-hmm. friends can definitely help you with that. Um, so oh, yeah. I was just like, Oh, you know what? Like, he's not even that good looking. Like it definitely started with something really shallow like that. I was like, he has like really yellow teeth and like, he has such a stupid hairline and he's a really bad kisser, actually. Like, I'm really disgusted by that, thinking of that. Mm-hmm. And he's a really bad texter. He has really bad shoes. Like, these are all really shallow things. But it was really something that, like, I kind of stuck on this person. Like, look at all these bad qualities of this person. <laughs> and it really took them off of that pedestal. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it wakes you up from your brainwash of like, oh, my God, I'm never going to meet somebody like him again. Like, no, he sucks. He is disgusting. Yeah. No, and it really like you ha- the more specific, the better, like the weirder. I have the weirdest things on my list. I like I definitely still have probably all of them because before of smartphones, I would just email it to myself. <laughs> 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 I should probably look for those. Um, We're dating ourselves a little bit here. I know. I know. It's so mean. I feel really it's bad. Not mean. It's not so no. mean. No, no. You know what's mean? This and whatever he did to us that's yeah. what's mean and so yeah honest, it's okay you know what this reminds me of okay. and i actually hate this and i know you're gonna hate it because you hate friends oh my um, god and that's that's yes everybody you heard me correctly michelle hates the show friends i on the other hand am hugely obsessed and have seen every episode countless times but this reminds me of this one episode where ross created a pros and cons list about dating rachel and julie when he couldn't decide which one of them to pursue um, and it's, it's really fucked up because Rachel ends up seeing the list. So oh God, I would she, die. Oh, I know. I would, I would die whether I was both Rachel or Ross. It's, there's not a good side to be on in that situation. And she, you see how hurt she is. And she says this one line that kind of gets me and she's like, imagine all the worst things that you think about yourself. And then imagine the one person that you trust more than anything using those, not only thinks them too, but actually uses them as reasons not to be with you. I am a monster. No, you're not. No, but here's the thing with that. Here's the thing. Like in a way, yeah, we know that it's mean and it's terrible, but on the flip side of it, you don't have to share it with anybody with your friends. Obviously that's fine. Just like screenshot it and share it and have a field day with it. But (laughs) at the end of the day, it's not like you're going to go to their house and be like, this is why you suck. And right. say all these terrible things. Like you're just doing this for you as a coping mechanism to be able to see them for who they are and that you stop seeing them through these rose colored glasses. Yeah. And, because sometimes yeah. you see them on the other extreme of like this perfect person and you really need to go to the other end of the spectrum to get to that middle point of like just being over them and neutral. I don't know. Yeah. It's like tough and it's also love with not yourself. even just, yeah. And it's not even just about them. Right. I mean, the list can apply to the relationship itself. So you might remember all of the good things, but there's always those little things about the relationship that kind of nag you too, right? Like, oh, I hated that he never paid for anything. You didn't really face them head on. Yeah. Because you kind of just looked the other way and you decided to focus on their positive traits or maybe they're a bad dresser or maybe they had this really annoying tick talked and it really (laughs) bugged you or I don't know, whatever, little things kind of 
facing those things and facing those things about the relationship that were less than perfect. And those yeah. are the things that you put on your list. So yeah. it could even be something simple. Like whenever you sent him a selfie, he did really say, Oh my God, you look amazing. That can go on the list. I think you know, totally. we don't send selfies because for the sake of sending selfies, we're sending them because we expect you to acknowledge that your girlfriend or boyfriend is a bombshell. And if yeah. you refuse to react as such, and by mm-hmm. react as such, I mean, send me hard eyes, send me drools, send me fire emojis, <laughs> send me all these things and make me feel like the hottie that I felt like when I took this damn picture and not just comment like, oh, cool pants. Like, yeah. Or like, oh, is that your cat in the background? Motherfucker, why are you looking at the background? Why aren't you? I really wonder if that's a real story. <laughs> it is. It is a real story, and, I, and I'm not happy about it. You know, a I, real situation in mind as I, I reference this. <laughs> Great. I'm so sorry. We'll unpack that next. <laughs> you know, I think that you could also write down like times they really disappointed you, just like that. In bigger times, I mm-hmm. think every relationship that is no longer, I think you can think of those times that they really disappointed you, and maybe you were too embarrassed to say at the time, but you can write it down. The list is yours. It's like a private space to be, a, a, you know, very vulnerable, maybe a little terrible <laughs> towards yeah. the person, but it's a safe space. Yeah, it's super safe. And the only other people that are ever going to see it are all of your friends. No, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever shared mine. I shared mine. You shared yours and it was amazing. Yeah, I don't give a shit. I want everyone to know. And <laughs> you helped me build mine. I know. So. <laughs> the your best is when you can find tell you yeah your friends are so ready by the way especially if it wasn't like a great situation they are so there and ready with all the things they hated about your your ex and or about your guy or whatever it was and you know the one friend you want to avoid in this whole process is i liked him i thought oh, he was no. great don't include the friend in this like no. you kind of want your your asshole friends around for this like one. the guy the me guys this is mean <laughs> Yeah, like you don't. Although it's funny because you are the creator of the. List. I know, but like so, I know. So it depends on who it is. Sometimes I'm annoying like that. Yeah. Um, this is such a good segue, though, Nadine, to my millennial breakup term. Ooh, what's this week's? I don't know if you know this one at all. I don't know if I know it either. Okay, this week's term is the ick. Have you heard Ooh. of the ick? I feel like I may have, but I I can't define it. I mean, I can guess, but no, I I have no idea. Okay. So I have, I've caught the ick a lot. Like, I think this is, once I heard this term and I only heard it recently, I was like, oh my God, that is exactly why I've broken up with like three or four different people. I I caught the ick. So (laughs) the ick is when, you know, you're dating somebody and it's fine. It's going fine. And then all of a sudden, like, maybe you see them do something gross or you see, like, a really, I don't know, just something, like, unflattering about them or you learn something weird about them and you can't unsee it. You got the ick. And you're just like, I am not attracted to them anymore. I don't want to. I, like, the thought of them makes you kind of, like, cringy. And, (laughs) like, my ick, the, the, the way I always knew I got the ick. I couldn't kiss the person. I just like had no interest. I was just like, oh God, like no. <laughs> I just well, that's how I knew I got it. Okay. I get it, but I will challenge it slightly Ooh. for avoidant attachment types. Because 
think it's easy to create to be distant or not attractive whatever someone when things are starting to go well and I think it's a fine line for some people and you got to be careful of it because if you are someone who is a very classic like commitment phobe and is really scared of that closeness with someone you may sometimes nowhere like you don't want to get close to this person and you may judge them for something that they did but it's really not that big of a deal you're just kind of creating something out of nothing but it's a fine line you have I mean you have to be really honest with yourself right I mean again if you're someone who if you feel pretty good about your attachment style and you think you're secure and you're good and and you develop this ick because you saw them pick their nose or you saw them you know, eat food off of an empty restaurant table and that's disgusting um, or whatever it is. Like you, you saw their feet and they have talons for. Okay. Toenails. But one time I somebody, I cannot say who like the celebrity will be like a dead giveaway, but like one time a guy was like, yeah, somebody told me I look like, and it was like akin to Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> <laughs> I like, but you don't think Pee Wee's hot? It was not Pee Wee Herman, but. I know, but I'm just, I was good. Well, Pee Wee's also not really that hot. So, no, exactly. I, it was not a flattering celebrity that they were yeah. like proudly sharing. Like, oh, yeah, people tell me I look like this person. I was like, I'm going to go die now. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, it happened to me if somebody was like, oh, I, someone told me I look like Justin Bieber or like Post Malone. I'd be like, bye. <laughs> yeah. Um, I got to go forever. That would, that would do it for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I get that. I do. I get it. I just think, again, as, as I, I can only speak because it's my perspective in terms like of being it. somebody who's an avoidant, but I think it's easy to, to do that though. And I think it's like, remember Shallow How, that movie? I'm making yeah. so many pop culture references oh today. And a lot of them are really old. Yeah, but, um, 2003 was really your year. <laughs> <laughs> it was a solid, informative year for my theories and attachments <laughs> on relationships and love. Um, but like in Shallow How, he he's always coming up with like the dumbest excuses to dump the girls. Right. He's like her, Oh, her middle toe is longer than her big toe. Right. Or, you know, it's like, it's like stupid shit. And I think we've all probably done it, but avoidance are much more likely to do that because, and, and the funny thing is, I mean, again, going back to the beginning of this episode, styles is that the secure folks are the ones that have the most successful relationships. And the reason is they don't have these unrealistic expectations from a partner right yeah so I think the problem with the ick is that it could be used as an excuse by people who do have the avoidant attachment style and you can easily create something out of nothing and you can easily say something stupid like oh well you know this person you know I they don't meet my standards I have really high standards I just am so picky I'm so hard to please it's like no fuck you you don't really have high standards. You're actually just super insecure and you're using that as a reason not to take chances on people. So, and I'm not saying that you can't have standards for yourself. I'm just saying, be careful with of, the ick. Yeah. Yes. Be careful <laughs> with the ick because sometimes you could be creating it for yourself and it could be a mechanism of self-sabotage, which so true. is not a good thing for anybody. So it's just something that I'd be mindful of because the reason secure attachment folks are so secure and have the highest success rate in relationships don't have these unrealistic standards and they're very realistic about 
what a relationship should be, what a partner should be, how it works, what the dynamics are. They understand that it's not all like Disney fairy tales and love and butterflies. Like they know that you're not going to find somebody who hits every single checkbox on your list and who isn't 100% what you want or what you expected. They can be like 85 or 90% and that's amazing, you know? And I think secures are really good about being realistic about that stuff, whereas avoidance aren't. You may use the whole, I have high standards, I'm super picky, I always get the ick kind of excuse when reality, it's just you being kind of an asshole. Yeah. Can I clarify that that's not me? <laughs> no, it's not you. It's not. No. We've already established that you're secure and you had a healthy upbringing. And no, I'm pretty not. Health- I'm not bragging here. I'm just a jerk who like, I really just like, there are a few times where I was just like, oh, I can't unsee that. But that is so true that some people will will just, it's like, they're just snobs about other people and they're looking for flaws and they're looking for a reason to just end it. And right, exactly. And I, and it's just something that I would say, be careful of that. And it's, you don't want, especially if you think that you might be someone with an avoidant attachment style. You want to make sure that you're not self-sabotaging, you know, in, in whatever situation that you may be in, because it's something that you're not even aware that you're doing and you don't realize that you're getting in your own way of something that can be potentially great. I really liked your perspective on that. So thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Just an avoidant here trying (laughs) to make my way through the world. And, you know, my poor boyfriend will sit here and tell you all day how much of an avoidant I am. Um, but you've but, come hey, so luckily, far. I know. Luckily, he's a secure, so he, he puts yeah. up with my shit. You know what? He really is. <laughs> yeah. He puts up with all my shit, so it's been nice. It's perfect. Yeah. What was not so perfect <laughs> was a previous situation, a real relationship, Nadine. I, I'm making Nadine do this. I'm making her give another uh, breakup breakdown story from her past because it's just so <laughs> good. I'm so sorry, but it's so it's good. Fine. You know what? It's cool. I, I think one of the reasons we wanted to even start this podcast was because of how unbelievably ridiculous some of my dating stories are for real. And some of the dating stories of our friends. Honestly, so, can I just add before you start this that yes, starting this podcast has actually made me, I, I feel so neutral t- towards all of my exes. I really feel nothing, but I've actually, <laughs> sort of developed some resentment that I don't have a cool breakup story. Like I really have very tame breakup stories and like I have very little to contribute to this part. It's, it's fine. You just sit there being all secure and normal. No, I'm and not. That's <laughs> heteronormative. Like, I mean, like there were situations that were pretty crazy, but I mean, it's yeah. not really worthy of a breakup breakdown. So thank you for experiencing it for the both of us. Hey, don't thank me. Thank all of my exes yeah. for for putting me through this shit um and for the record there were some people that reached out expressing some concern about my mental well-being yes. given the story that i shared and i just want everyone to know like i'm fine this was years ago it, i'm super past it and everything's great and i'm now with a wonderful guy so it's all good um and you know has a happy ending yes and that's a good also preface for the story that I'm about to share. Um, So here we go. When I was in college, I dated someone for a very long time. And we had a couple of breakups in between the five-year 
duration of our relationship. And the first breakup happened uh, when I was overseas. I was visiting family. And this was 10 years ago, this story. So this was before we had iPhones and Wi-Fi calls and things like Skype and Viber and all of that. So I had to use one of my cousin's old like Nokia cell phones and get a SIM card from that country to put in my phone and actually, you know, use that number to text my then boyfriend at the time. So he had me saved in his phone as, you know, Nadine Egypt or whatever it was. Michelle, I think you still have my I number. will never delete that. <laughs> Nadine Egypt. That's me. Um, well, it was me 10 years ago. So anyway, um, now that I've dated myself and made myself sound super old, um, we the only way he and I could speak on the phone was if he got a calling card and called me like from his so his phone bill wouldn't be like an insane amount of money. So he didn't have to pay like four dollars a minute, basically. And, um, so he called me and, you know, there was this one night and I will never forget this night. I was at my family's beach house. And I remember I had just woken up from a nap after the beach. I was in Snoopy PJs. Like I was literally wearing pajamas that had Snoopy on them. I hadn't showered from the beach, so I was not looking or smelling great. And I was sitting at the table with my family. We're just like eating dinner and we're eating like meatballs and spaghetti or something ridiculous like that. Also, no idea why I said that backwards, considering it's <laughs> spaghetti and meatballs. So I just wanted to call that out before anyone else did. Not really a classic um, Egyptian meal. It's okay. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. Immigrant child problem. <laughs> um, so anyway, I'm sitting there and I get a text message on, on my phone and it's from my ex and it's like, or from my boyfriend at the time. And he's like, hey, what are you, what are you doing? And it's kind of stern. And I have sauce on my hand. So I'm like, okay, I don't know what he wants, but I'll just answer him later when I'm done. And he texts me again. And he's like, call me ASAP. Um, we, we need to talk and it can't wait. So naturally, I go into like anxious attachment uh, style mode. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? This is not good. So I wash my hands. I take my phone. I call him and I talk to him. And he says, what are you doing? And I said... I explained the exact scenario <laughs> that I just explained to all of you, that I just woke up from a nap, that I have not showered all day, I am in pajamas, braless, and I am eating spaghetti and meatballs with my family. <laughs> and then I say, what are you doing? And he says, well, I actually just called you a little bit ago. And I said, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Like I didn't get any missed calls. Like, what's up? And he's like, well, I heard something really interesting. And I said, okay, what'd you hear? And he says, well, I heard a guy and a girl, like, you know. And I said, okay, heard a guy and a girl, what? He said, I just, you're with, you're there with some guy, aren't you? And I was like, what? I was like, did I, did you not just hear the Snoopy pajamas? Like, I don't, I don't. <laughs> no one is seeing you in Snoopy pajamas, it, thank God. My family didn't even want to see me in Snoopy pajamas, and there they were, watching me in them in all my glory, sauce covered and braless. Like, it was not a good setup for anyone. And, 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 and I, I, I start laughing, right? Because I think it's, I think it's, it's hysterical. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, what guy, like, what are you saying? And he's like, yeah, I heard it. Like, I know and you're lying to me. Like, who's there? Who are you with? Like, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, 
I, I, I'm in absolute utter disbelief and I can't understand how this happened. I don't know what he heard. Like I never got a call. I never saw anything. So long story short at this point, you know, he, we, we talk about it for a little bit and then he kind of lets it go, but I could tell things aren't really right. And it's clearly not sitting well with him. And the biggest challenge with it was I couldn't even tell him to check the number that he had dialed because he called me from a fucking calling card. (laughs) So there was no way for me to prove that the call he made didn't come to me and that it went to someone else or whatever it was and all this stuff. So it was really, really challenging. And anyway, um, it ended up being that, you know, we tried to text it out for a couple more days, but I just could tell that he was being really distant and not really engaging with me. And we ended up having another conversation a few days later and while I was still overseas and we ended up breaking up. So, um, that was really unfortunate because it was just a situation that was completely out of my control. I was devastated. Um, it definitely ruined the rest of my trip and it was, it just sucked. And it really, when I think about it in hindsight, 10 years later, I don't really blame him because that's a hard thing. If you're so convinced that that's what you heard and that's what you know happened. And the only thing that the person can offer you in return is that, well, you must've dialed a wrong number and there's no way to prove that you dialed the oh wrong number. Oh my God, only you. It's, yeah, it was just so unbelievably hard, I think for both of us. And it was really, really challenging to kind of get past it. And ultimately we couldn't, but um, if it makes anybody feel better, we did end up getting back together a few months later and we dated for like another four years after that. So, um, so definitely had nothing to do with why we broke up was this whole thing but it was just a very interesting situation that again doesn't really happen often and yeah I'm grateful that calling cards are no longer a thing (laughs) I remember I was actually at the beach too uh it was in the summer when this happened and I remember you telling me this and I laughed like I did not think that this was serious yep and then it was no it was really sad because he really like you guys really broke up over it and he really didn't believe that you weren't like with another guy and yeah. that there yeah there was no way to prove otherwise and it just goes back to the attachment styles and trust and all that so oh yeah i mean trust is a whole other topic oh, we, which we had definitely had issues with yeah but that was that was fun but uh but yeah it was just so stupid <laughs> like, i'm like literally sitting there pajamas sauce everywhere Minding my own business with my family. So sad. And I'm like literally hanging out with like my conservative Egyptian family. Yeah. Who is not about to like push me out the door to like hang out with dudes all the time. It's just not the kind of life I led when I was in Egypt. (laughs) Oh my God. That is so worthy of this breakup breakdown that was perfect that was fun yeah but again i'm okay everything's healthy everything's good everything's fine (laughs) yes well i think that's it i think that we've definitely gone over a little bit and we hope you liked it i hope this was worth over an hour of your time yeah and we hope that uh you guys learned something you guys had fun you laughed you cried you went on and rated it and left a review, maybe. Yeah. And uh, follow us on it, Instagram at Heartsprained on Twitter. Yeah. We're on Twitter. If there are any topics that you think you, you want us to discuss or want to get our perspectives on, feel free to email us, heartsprained at gmail.com. And 
otherwise we will see you next time yes thank you everybody bye bye